Well, hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the Going Deeper podcast. AJ here, pastor of Life Groups and Discipleship, and today we are talking about different excerpts from Acts chapter 16. We got a couple special guests in with us today, and so we're excited to jump into the content. And so with that, let's go deeper. joining us today in the podcast studio is none other than Pastor Ryan Suzuki. Pastor Ryan, welcome. Hi, great to be here. Thanks. And also joining us for this communal episode is none other than Lauren Corbis, Director of Middle School Ministries. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I'm super excited to jump into this content on this Mother's Day weekend. And so let's dive right in. Starting from Acts 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And so if my first question is directed to you, Pastor Ryan. Uh, one of the things Danny and I have been lamenting is that it gets pretty difficult to trace Paul's movements in the book of Acts. And I know different people have different strategies. You got to get an atlas. You got to get a commentary. You got to get all these different things in place as you're following along with Paul's journey. And so before we launch in, I want to try to calibrate our minds around what we've walked through with Paul. So we met Saul at the persecution of Stephen. Saul then continues to chase after these persecuted Christians that are scattering and we meet him on the road to Damascus, where his life gets turned upside down by the appearance of the risen Jesus. He then settles for a bit in Damascus, travels to Arabia, then returns to Damascus, then back to Jerusalem. Already we're hopping all over the place. He goes off to Caesarea, then to Tarsus, then Cilicia. And then last week we talked about in the book of Galatians, it talks about Acts 11, Barnabas goes to find Saul and brings him to Antioch, and then they have this Antioch episode. And so we pick up the story in Acts 16, which is a bit of a jump, but Pastor Ryan, could you help us figure out what it means when it says Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra? What exactly is going on? And I'm assuming there had to have been people in this journey that he must have met in, along the way. So could you fill us in on where Paul is going and what's going on in Paul's life? Yeah. So right now there's a lot going on. I mean, I know that, like you said, you and Danny have been uh, looking over this and trying to figure out where to place Paul. You know, you might be looking at the back of your Bible and looking at those maps of Paul's missionary journeys and scratching your head. Don't worry. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing that too. But basically what's happened is Paul's come off his first missionary journey, going primarily with Barnabas and Silas, going around and planting churches all over the Mediterranean world. At some point in this time, he has, there's two things that happen. One is that interaction, that rebuking of Peter that we talked, that Pastor Dane talked about last week. And there was also maybe as a result of, of that interaction, there was a council, a, a, a gathering of church leaders, the apostles, including Peter and Paul in Jerusalem to answer the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And the output of that, the result, the decision on that was, hey, well, just very basically, 
you have to believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that he rose again, that you put your faith and trust in him. That's it. It's not about what you eat. It's not about, you know, the food laws that you keep. It's not about um, any of these kind of ceremonial things that might define a Jewish person in in an older time sense. You don't like the percentage of Jewish you need to be to be a Christian is zero. So out of that, those are, that's a revolutionary moment in defining who's in and who's out. And it really opens the doors for everything. And out of that, Paul's getting ready, um, wants to get ready to go on this second missionary journey, to go back out to the churches and go to new places and share the gospel. So I shared a little bit, uh, the kind of context for this is Paul getting ready and him getting ready with uh, Barnabas and Silas and Barnabas wanting to take Mark with them. And they, they have to split up. They can't agree on that. You know, Paul doesn't value Mark for for these reasons of because Mark had deserted them and they split up. So that's kind of where we find ourselves that even immediately after that, Paul grabs Silas and says, all right, it's you and me, let's go. And he's meeting people along the way. I think it's incredible. Uh, after your Sunday uh, message, all of the names that came up of just all the people that Paul interacted with. And in this scene, uh, Acts 16 verse one, we learn that he meets a disciple named Timothy And then we get insight into who his mother is. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. And that led us to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, where Paul uh, talks about this relationship. And it says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. And so it's just a beautiful picture of this generational passing down of the faith from the grandmother to the mother and now inside of Timothy. And so, Lauren, I have a question for you now. Um, Like I said, it's just a beautiful picture of this generational faith. And you mentioned in your uh, portion of the message that you had that same story. And I thought that was so inspiring to see that that can have such an influence on people and, um, you know, thinking about Lois and, and Eunice here, I, I just started thinking about all the different women in my life and women in ministry in general. And man, even in this one verse, things get so complicated because it says that while the mother was a Christian, uh, the father was a Greek. It doesn't really say much about the father. So I know if you're out there listening, you probably have so many different family dynamics that are just so complicated, right? And I think another angle you could talk about, and I think the Bible intentionally goes here, is women participating in ministry, passing down the faith. And even in that story, there's so much complexity going on um, because you know I'm there's so many women who have troubled relationships with their kids, they've yet to have children, unable to have children, or even separating from this mother dynamic, this children dynamic, they don't desire to have children or are called to participate in other ways besides having kids. And so basically the point I'm trying to get across is like there's so many different contexts of ministry. And so my question to you, Lauren, is as you were preparing your message what burden did the Lord put on your heart uh, to speak to the woman of three crosses? And what is this scene, just so many different complexities in the family or passing down generational faith, what does that say about like the breadth 
of ministry in the Bible because I know the Bible is doing something very significant with the role of women. And so I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I think that it's just so powerful the way that we see women presented in the Bible. And um, I I think that, like you mentioned, AJ, there's just such scope and, and breadth and depth of how these women are talked about and honored throughout scripture. And so um, there are just so many incredible women that I've gotten to look up to uh, throughout my study of scripture. And and some of those, I think it's important to recognize just Jesus's uplifting and recognition of women who have been in sin and women who have made mistakes and and received grace. And so I think of Rahab the prostitute who um, hid the spies who were who were God's people and and actually paved a way for God's kingdom to be built and, and Jesus's interactions with um, the woman at the well who had had five husbands or the woman who was caught in adultery to whom he said, um, you know, I'm not condemning you, but go and sin no more. And so I think of the way that Jesus empowers women who um, have made mistakes and who the redemption that just he sees within them, the redemptive power of his spirit. I think of Esther who used her authority um, in her marriage to King Xerxes to save the Jewish people, to advocate for people, um, putting herself in a place of sacrifice and herself in a place of risk to make that request. I think of um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and just Luke 1, this idea of her desire just to magnify God, her immediate acceptance of this this burden and this privilege of bearing um, the Messiah. And and then later we just see it in Luke 2, the next chapter, we we read that she's pondering and storing the things that Jesus does in her heart. And I think that for all of us, men and women at Three Crosses, there's just so much to learn from those words alone. Like, what does it mean to just sit and ponder what Jesus is doing in our lives? And Mary of Magdalene too. In in Luke ten, we see this picture of Jesus visiting Mary and Martha's house, and and Mary being the one who is um, regarded and rewarded for just sitting at the feet of Jesus and delighting in His presence. And so, I think. God has so much to teach us from these women throughout scripture. And for the women of Three Crosses, for anybody who um, is is looking for these mothers of faith and, and these people who um, just have, have been held in such regard throughout scripture, who are women, um, there's no shortage of those people from Lois to Eunice to, to Mary and Esther and Ruth. And um, I think Ryan had, had shared some of those women throughout scripture who who have just had this profound impact on the advancement of God's kingdom. And so um, it's a beautiful thing to to be a woman and get to look at these other women and know that uh, we love and serve a God, uh, a Jesus, a Holy Spirit who does not forget women, who doesn't, who doesn't put them in the background as so much of these cultures and societies would have, but who says, I'm here to elevate them and, and to bring them to a place of recognition. I know it's incredibly difficult to put ourselves in an ancient context, but we've talked about this on the podcast before of just the the subversion when it comes to women, uh, just the cultural milieu at the time, uh, just uh, devaluing and, and uh, dehumanizing of women. And the Bible comes in and just flips it on its head and says, no, like you are created in the image of God. So what a beautiful picture you were able to paint right there of just all the different women and all the different um, contexts that they were able to serve. Which brings me to my skeptic question on the podcast, because one of the things in our current context that we get a lot of flack for 
is this idea of women in ministry. And so, Pastor Ryan, I wanted to ask you about this particular issue because I know um, to get more specific on the complaint, it almost feels like, yes, Lauren, all those things can be true. But then on the flip side, it seems like the church has this like glass ceiling on women. There's this one role that they can't get to, and that's the role of pastoral elder. And I know this has brought up a lot of debates over the years and even currently in churches. And uh, man, it is a challenging issue. Um, People are still trying to figure out like, how does this play out in real life? And so I'm imagining even on Sunday's message, like there are probably people championing like, yes, this is awesome seeing Lauren up there. Like we should be led by like people that know their stuff that, you know, are qualified, have the education, all these different things. We're in the 21st century now. And yet on the other hand, I know there might be some people that, you know, to put it frankly, put see Lauren on stage and might have speculation, like what is going on in the theological realm of the church? Like what's going on? So it's just a very hot issue, divisive issue, but also like a hazy issue. So I know this is a topic we're going to get to on Mother's Day in particular, but I just wanted to bring it out into the light. Pastor Ryan, could you help us maybe talk through some of the things that the pastoral elders are wrestling with right now in terms of women in ministry, in terms of this conversation? And uh, could you give us some some things to grasp onto, knowing that, hey, there are some more episodes that we've talked about this with Pastor Danny. Um, yeah, could you help us? Give some clarity based on this Mother's Day message. Yeah, I think there's there's just a lot of things going on there. And I think right. kind of bigger picture things that we need to keep in mind. One is, it just comes to mind immediately, is there's there's this, this interplay in the scriptures between men and women. Like right. men and women are both created in the image of God. Like a lot of times you'll see when when... When the scriptures, especially when Paul talks about the roles of men and women and kind of their what in both in ministry and in life, he appeals to creation. He goes back to Genesis, uh, which is this really interesting thing. When you go back to Genesis, you see that men and women were both created in, in the image and likeness of God. Like th- just don't breeze past that. Men and women created in the image and likeness of God. And a lot of times what happens with anything, not just men and women, uh, all sorts of issues, it's can be easy to take and pick and choose verses out of the scriptures to create kind of whatever narrative that we want. But we know even from the very beginning, man was not meant to be alone. He needed a helper. And that's not just a companion. It's not like man needed a friend. What is God's like? And what is his commission to humanity, his people that he's created? Or it's to go be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth, to steward the earth. Now, even in that, just think about that, like, there's one of those things, one, like the man alone cannot be, <laughs> let's just say, it, cannot be fruitful and multiplied by right, himself. Right. He needs someone, a, hel- a helper, and not just, not a subordinate helper, a helper that is co-creating and co-making with him. So even in the beginning, that's what's happening. Now, even in that narrative, even in that image, in that picture, is there stuff that's primarily for one party and primarily for another? Yeah, I think we could... I think it would be safe for us to agree on that. But on the other part, when we get to women in ministry, we know there's a variety of interpretations, of thoughts, of of 
that Bible-believing, absolutely Christian, absolutely gospel-centered people believe about this. And so when we come to uh, the, even the interpretation here of Scripture at Three Crosses, we look at passages, um, again, in light of the creation, create, creation narrative, in light of the whole like council of Scripture, and we look at places like 1 Timothy 3, uh, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, and we, we see that there's lots of areas where men and women are serving absolutely together, in all these different ways, but there's this office, this um, yeah, this office called elder, which which we see in the text is reserved for men. So we have this even here. We have this position paper that if you email myself or AJ or you come to membership, we go over it there. But just hey, here's our reading of scripture where we actually talk about these things, and I love how it I love how it puts it because we do see that women have all these roles. Like I think about Deborah in Judges, man, like. There was no, she stepped up in a vacuum of leadership and did an incredible job. I think about people, Lauren, you mentioned Rahab. I think about Rahab, a woman of that could have been seen as a woman of ill repute, quote unquote. And she was God-fearing, heard from the Lord, and was faithful. I think about Mary, mother of Jesus. I think about Lydia right here, Mary of Magdalene, all these women um, who step in and do this role of like serving, of advancing the gospel, of proclaiming the good news, of teaching people, of raising people up. And so we use in our language, we say the primary weight and responsi- responsibility in certain areas of oversight, one, preaching and teaching, two, shepherding, three, the primary weight of responsibility is on elders, not the sole weight, not the only weight, the primary weight. And so sometimes I like to, when I look at this and when, I, when I'm reading this and sharing this, I think about it as, kind of the final say. So it's, you're going to see um, primarily, let's just take teaching today. Primarily, you're going to see teaching from elders, from pastoral elders. Like I'm a pastoral elder, Danny's a pastoral elder. Um, But from from time to time, you're going to hear from other men and women on our staff who are uh, gifted in teaching and preaching. That's why you hear Lauren, because she has a gift. she has the, that's a gifting from the Lord. So the, it's about primary uh, in that, in certain, in these places and spaces and the kind of final, let's just call it the final say. Lauren, I'm going to throw it to you real quick because I'd be remiss to not ask for your opinion as a woman. Uh, but I want to make sure that I'm not straw manning anything and posing this false argument. So I'm wondering, um, what's your take on, you know, women outside of the church and their view on this? But also any response that you have to Ryan and the position statement that he just went over. Yeah. First of all, I'm grateful. I think you would be remiss. And I'm grateful (laughs) to be in a room uh, with just two men who I I believe value women and and at a church that I see as a place that just deeply values and cares for women. And so it would be a little weird if you didn't ask me what I thought about that. (laughs) But I'm grateful that you did anyway. And I think Firstly, I would say to the women and the men who are looking at the positions of our church or listening to this that, you know, let's start and and just I would encourage anyone to look at what Jesus has to say about women first. And I think it's impossible to read the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, and, and, you know, continuing throughout the Bible and to miss God's perspective of women and and the ways that he elevates them. And as I said before, and we've been talking about, you know, in a time when this was so taboo, and like you said, AJ, it's almost impossible for us to imagine how 
jarring this would have been for people to be reading about women and and seeing these names listed and the agency and power that is given to these women. I, I think when we look at what Jesus has to say about women, it's impossible uh, to feel like he doesn't value them or care about them. Um, and I, I understand, AJ, you use this phrase like it feels like there's this glass ceiling, but I would argue that there is no glass ceiling for a woman or a woman in ministry, um, maybe positionally or the title that a woman is given. But um, saying that men hold this title of eldership in our church is not putting a glass ceiling on women. And as a woman in ministry who's a director at this church, um, I'm grateful that I've never felt that way. I've never felt like I'm being stifled or or that there's this limit that I can't attain. Um, my belief is that there's just other areas and avenues of ministry that I am called to. Um, and you know, I I'm faithful to to follow the church's doctrine because this is this isn't something that I don't wrestle with or that women in ministry don't wrestle with. So I want to be honest and clear that I do think about these things and. Mm-hmm. But I also want to be honest and clear that I believe that this church has sound theology, has really, really trustworthy leadership who are receiving um, just wisdom and direction from the Lord. And so I think part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to to trust in the leadership of the church context that we're a part of. And so um, I'm honored and grateful that I get to be a part of this leadership and, and to trust the elders who are making these decisions and, and developing this doctrine um, as it pertains to and as they're responding to what the Bible says. And, and I even think of Paul's words in, in Romans 6 saying that he is now a slave to righteousness. And the fact that Paul, you know, gave himself that word and and said, I'm a slave to this thing and literally claiming he is enslaved to Christ. And, and so I just think about the, the strength of Paul's words and the reality that no matter what you call us, you know, people call Christians all kinds of names and I get the title of director and, and it's an honor to hold that title. And so, um, for all of the names that people can give me, it really doesn't matter as long as I'm serving the Lord faithfully and and doing what he's calling me to do. And I trust the church's leadership in this. And I believe that as long as we're responding to the Lord's calling for our lives and doing what he's gifted us and entrusted us to do, we're doing that right. And so um, I love working with these men. I love working at, at this place. And um, to any woman who feels like church ministry stifles women or pushes them down, I would just say as a woman in that context um, here, I don't believe that's true at all. Even as you were talking, Lauren, I thought about this thing about these women in the scriptures and like what what it reveals about them and what it reveals about God's heart. And I was just mm-hmm. thinking about women leaders throughout the scriptures. I mentioned mm-hmm. Deborah or yeah. Esther or Mary or, and there's just a variety of them. But when I think about them, you know, they're almost always, they give a plus performances. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they fill their role so well. And you look at a ton of the men in the mm. Bible, like you look at Peter or Paul, David, like David they do these <laughs> sometimes boneheaded or horrible mm. things. Yeah. And yeah, so I just, I just thought it was notable. Like as you were talking about that, mm. it just made me reflect on like how notable it is that when uh, the Bible has, when the scriptures reveal about these women in leadership, they mm. always is it seems notable 
that they do it with excellence. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's another thing where you're right. Like the Bible's communicating something to us. God wants to communicate something to us. Yeah. And I'm not saying we shouldn't care about or not honor titles. I just feel like sometimes we get so caught up Mm -hmm. in the weeds of that, that we're actually missing God's heart for people and the elevation that he has for women and the equality that he brings to men and women in their creation. Acts 16, the passage continues, and we meet another woman in uh, Paul's journey here, um, a lady named Lydia. And so that comes out of verses 11 to 15, um, where basically Paul's on a journey, and uh, he's trying to figure out where he wants to go. He has this extraordinary vision that he needs to go uh, to Macedonia. And he travels to this little city called Philippi and he meets Lydia and she's a dealer in purple cloth, a worshiper of God. And something happens to her in her heart where the Lord opens her heart up to what Paul is trying to say. And so I love this journey that Paul is is going on here because we're seeing all these different people touch base with him. And, uh, you know, whether it's a male, whether it's a female, like we're saying, like all these beautiful interactions uh, going on. And here we have Lydia, who is going to launch into one of the most influential things, which stems from the letter of the Philippians. And so, Ryan, I so appreciated all the names and all the people and like, reminding us that at the end of Paul's letters, like there's just a whole list of people that Paul would probably call friends and co-laborers. And it brought to my mind this analogy of the body that he uses. And so my question to you is, is that analogy out of left field? Because I know in our culture today, in our American culture, it's very individualistic, something we've talked about again on the podcast and something that my heart burns for as a life group pastor here. But um, is he pulling this out of left field? Do we really need all these people in our lives? Like I can imagine my my phone just blowing up left and right. All I really want to do is just lock myself in, maybe watch the Warriors game. Hopefully they're still playing by the time this airs. <laughs> And uh, just do life myself. So where is Paul getting this need for other people? Yeah. I mean, I think that's just, it's a God-given thing. I mean, even in the beginning, God creates creates all these things. And again, going back to creation, he creates, a, he creates Adam, the first man. And then he knows it's not right for this man to be alone. It's not right for this man to be alone. And out of his body, he forms another body. He forms... A woman. He forms Eve. You know, the glory of man. And it's this incredible picture that from the beginning, like, we're people. We're humans. We're physical beings. Um, we are physical and spiritual. We have that component to us. And also, we just have a need. We have a need for We all know that. I mean, we all... I'm an introverted person myself. I often joke with my wife. It's like, my dream is that my favorite th- times are where I'm doing something in the home, but I also know that she's there, you know, that her presence <laughs> is there. I like them. I like her being around. But at the same time, we know that people are just 
suffering, they're isolated, they're lonely, literally dying, dying because they lack relationships. And we, mm-hmm. when you look at that, when you think about that, I think anyone who's listening, anyone out there, we know and we can count off the people that mean something really important to us. And if we can't, we know that we're missing out. Mm-hmm. So I kind of talked about like the lack of um, relationships that we have today, kind of an epidemic of of loneliness and isolation. And even in a, like the most connected world, thanks to technology, we're the least connected and we're the most against each other. And I just kind of go back, honestly, uh, when I read that passage where at the end of Second Timothy, where, where Paul's just making this appeal, like it, I literally, when I was reading it, it's such like kind of a boilerplate thing. Like, hey, like bring these people. I can't wait to see you. This guy left me, you know, bring Mark back and get my cloak and my and my books and my parchments. It, like, it, I teared up because it felt so, which is not common to me. Um, it felt so real. There's like his the need for human connection and when we're connected too. like, look at Paul, like the effectiveness of Paul goes through the roof is be- because he is a part of a community and has life-giving friends, has life-giving mm-hmm. relationships. That's what makes the whole thing go. When he's alone, he's constantly like, I got to get more people. When he comes into town, he's like, I have to find people and establish a people. Like he doesn't leave until there's a church there unless there's no one that's receptive to the gospel. So you just see like that is how literally we are created. We are literally created with an an ingrained need, a God-given desire to be in community and really like when it's functioning well, it's like a body. It's complementary. It's something that comes to get that's together it has togetherness and mutual functionality. Um, I let, you know, go and read those passages in Corinthians, first Corinthians about the body. You'll see like, it just evokes this thing of, we can't, we don't exist without each other and we can't really do what we're supposed to do without each other. Carrying off this body analogy, um, I was just thinking more about the scene of Lydia, particularly on this mother's day and going back to the topic of, of women in general. Um, man, I wish I could have been present at that conversation. What did Paul say that, you know, flip the switch on in Lydia's life? How how did the Lord uh, bring her eyes to see Paul's message? And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing where God is in total control of Lydia's fate, but also uses Paul as a messenger. And so in this context of Mother's Day and celebrating women, um, I'm interested from your perspective, Lauren, what do you feel like women today need to hear to maybe like take that next step in their own faith journey, maybe to have the light switched on for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then a follow-up question, carrying on the body analogy, how do then men and women work together from your experience? How do they work together well in this body life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to talk to the first part of that question or that question of, you know, what what might women need to to know in order to see what God is doing and have that light switched on in their life? I think it really boils down to identity and finding our identity in Christ. And while that's something that I believe men and women both struggle with, I think, especially for women, it can be this issue from which so many other issues are born. Um, but I, I really believe identity is this huge 
almost cancerous root that infects so so much more of our lives. Um, we compare ourselves to each other. We we feel like we need to put each other down. We feel like we need to live up to this standard. So much of being a woman is sometimes feeling like you're too much and, and sometimes feeling like you're not enough and just being caught in these tensions uh, you know, of busyness or of having nothing to do, of having everything to do or of feeling really purposeless. But um, I, I think that God really wants to speak to our identities. And so I would love to make a plug for everyone to read a book by a male author, but The Truest Thing About You by David Lomas, which mm -hmm. we were um, encouraging to be read as a church this past season, I think really speaks to a lot of that. Um, but, you know, there there are the obvious, we are made in God's image. Our identity is in him. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, Psalm 139 says that. But I think even more deeply and more importantly to to have the confidence that you are seen and known and loved by God at every moment of every day, and, and there's never been a moment in your life where that isn't true, I, I believe that just invites us to live out of this freedom that comes from that truth. Um, I think of Isaiah 55 too, and and just this question that God poses of like, why are you spending your money on things that aren't bread or your wages for things that don't satisfy? And following that with let your soul delight in abundance. And so our basic needs that we're searching for in, in other people or other things or jobs or what we own or how good we look to other people, um, we're really just looking for love and significance and security. And if we can find that in Christ, we are invited to live a completely new life. And it's something I wrestle with every day and something none of us do perfectly, but um, it's something I believe is life-changing when we can access that truth and believe that truth and be around people who encourage that truth for our lives. And so I think that that speaks to the second part of that question too. How can we function together as a body of men and women? Um, I believe it's seeing the value in one another, seeing the work that God is doing in one another and and not spending our time divisively, um, spending our time around God-loving and God-fearing men and women who are going to encourage our truest identity. And so um, like Ryan's been talking about, like looking for those people in the context of our local church. And so um, I love the women's ministry here at Three Crosses. I'm a part of that. I'm a part of a home group on Thursday nights. Shout out to the Brown home group. But um <laughs> Yeah, I, I love getting to connect with both men and women who I learned so much from at this church. Yeah, Matt and Barbara Brown say they uh, come up to me on Sundays and say they listen. So shout out to Matt and Barbara uh, Brown from the They're podcast. They're probably listening right now. If yeah. you're listening, thanks for listening. <laughs> I have one final question to the both of you. It's a little fun thought exercise. Because Do you want us to answer at the same time? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Everybody speak all at once. Perfect. <laughs> Got it. But I'm so inspired by this Lydia character. Uh, based on that last verse there, it says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us, this party of travelers uh, looking to go on a missionary trip, into her home. And then she says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And I'm imagining like if this Lydia interaction didn't happen, I wonder what else would not have happened? What else, uh, you know, would we not see? And so I'm super inspired by this Lydia character. And based on everything that we've been saying, we need the body, we need relationships, we need friendships. I want to ask you guys to do this thought exercise. And you can do this along uh, with us if you're at home. 
imagine for a second that you're Paul. And like you said, you're writing this letter to a church and okay, you've come to that last chapter and now it's time for all those names. You got to write out all those names, uh, thinking of all the people that you've been friends with that have contributed to your ministry effort, whatever it is. You just want to shout out your ministry partner, just like we did with Matt and Barbara, right? I want you to think, who would you include? Okay, now that you've thought of that, how did you break ground on those relationships? Because I can imagine there are people out there that have nobody to pen at the end of that chapter that are having a really difficult time trying to break through into this church body, breaking into relationships. So my question is, how did the two of you uh, break through into these life-giving, Christ-centered uh, partnership, friendship, co-laboring, whatever it is, relationships? Yeah, I think... I think I shouted out my mom yesterday. So uh, if I didn't, sorry, mom. She also probably isn't listening to this because she doesn't <laughs> listen to podcasts. But um, I thought about, so I was thinking about a couple of categories. There's some people, there's people in your life that you just, you get them. Like I got my mom. And I think about, uh, mentioned this briefly, but my mom is a woman of great strength. Uh, she was a hospice nurse uh, for most of her career. Just thinking about that, like just that's, the, you know, the quality, if you do well as a hospice nurse, people die well. And that's a, mm. that's a hard thing. That's that it's not healing. It's, mm. it's peace. That's what she's working on. And so I've found like over the years, especially as I've been in pastoral ministry, that we actually traffic in some similar emotional waters. And I've mm. learned so much and gained so much strength from my mom. So there's some people that you, you just, you get them. They're part of, they're part of the deal. And so maybe there's people in your life who are the people that are just part of the package deal of you being you, that your family, uh, maybe there's just close friendships or those people that are around you. I think sometimes people that um, you're around, there's people that you're around. So I thought I mentioned at the beginning yesterday of my kind of this group of of guys that were a part that I just grew up here at Three Crosses with. It was Carrie, Josh, and John. Those That was the core and me. And we were just the same age and we were just in small groups in 2020 together and small groups in Omega together. And we just, and we just invested in each other. I don't know, like, I don't know if we would have just been friends necessarily out in the playground. Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't, but like, because we were just put together, we just found like tremendous friendship, tremendous support, something that's beyond that. And I think that happens all the time in the church. I mean, you go into different places, like look around the sanctuary next Sunday. It's not a group of people that would normally come together. All sorts of different types of people, different ethnicities, different ages, different socioeconomic class, all that stuff. They're all in the room. It's like really neat. That happens in the local church. I feel like sometimes you get that there. And so it's like leaning in, like who's around you? Who's there? And then finally, sometimes like for me, I, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm a pretty introverted person. And sometimes like that's not, that shouldn't, that's not my, I shouldn't use that as a shield from relationships. Ah, more introverted. Some of you are out there more introverted that not can take a risk. I remember when I was in college, I just knew I wanted to create, I was at Biola University. It's a Christian liberal arts school in Southern California. And I wanted to just make new friends. I knew, I, I value relationships even as an introvert. I value good quality relationships. I value those things. And I knew I'd have to take a little step of faith and take a risk. And there's these guys in our hall and, and uh, they played NBA Live 
2004. I think that's the age. Oh man. Yeah, some good stuff. <laughs> that's a video game. That's a video game. That's a video game. I didn't now, know. I play video games. I don't know anything about basketball, but I just thought, you know what? I'll I can figure out the game. And so I made friends with this guy named Tyler, who's a lifelong friend. He's also in ministry. And because I took this risk and he taught me how basketball is played. I mean, one, I have a lifelong friend. Two, I have an abiding love and and a a downright obsession with the Warriors. So I can thank him for both those things. And it's amazing. And then lastly, I talked a lot about broken relationships. I'm not going to name this person because uh, I don't want to shame them in any way. But I think about I had a really close friend and that relationship was broken. And but I just I can reflect on how God used that in my life. He used it to drive me into a great deeper dependence on him. He taught me a lot about forgiveness. He taught used it to teach me a lot about um how I am as a friend, like how I can be a better friend and how I can be a person that values others and cultivates life-giving relationships. So in all those things, whether it's the people that you just get whether it's the people that are around you, whether it's people you need to seek out, or even the people where you experience brokenness in, God can and will use it all. So just that invitation to be a part of that. So what about you, Lauren? What video games did you have to play <laughs> to make some friends? <laughs> oh, I cannot think of any deep Christ-centered relationships that were birthed from video game usage or playage. I don't know if there's a word. Yeah, whatever. Um, but speaking of birth, my mom birthed me and... She, you know, is this Eunice figure in my life. Um, I come from a half Christian household. And so she kind of helped pave the way for me to follow the Lord. And um, like I kind of shared on, on Sunday morning there, my my Christian upbringing, quote unquote, wasn't always so Christian looking, but just to have these basic tenets of faith instilled in my life, um, that's just, you know, a friendship and a, a relationship, a family relationship that really set me up to follow Jesus. And so, um, yeah, that's obviously the first one because we were immediately together, hospital room to today. And so um, some other relationships that that I feel like God has just really used to, to propel my faith have been um, kind of when I started more seriously following Jesus, it was the result of a friend, Hannah Alter, who actually used to be a part of this church and worked here. Now she's at another church with her husband, Nate. But um, they, Hannah had invited me into her home when we were just high schoolers. We were just peers. I didn't really go to Omega in 2020, kind of ironically. Um, but Hannah invited me to a Bible study at her house, and I started showing up there, and that really just created in me this spark to to take following Jesus seriously so that a couple years later when I went to college, I had um, joined a Bible study there and became a part of uh, a ministry through Crew International Organization. Um, and so my Bible study leaders there, Avery and Lindsay, just shepherded me for, for four years, really, um, just staying close to my life, discipling me and helping me to, to understand what it meant to walk with God and follow in their examples. And, and then, um, you know, as I was coming home for summers in college and eventually moved back here to, to Castro Valley, um, I had this friend from the summer camps that I was working at, uh, whose name is Sierra. And, you know, we were working in this secular summer camp, um, a non-Christian summer camp. And I was looking around at the other staff members that I had known for years. And 
after kind of this culture shock of being in college, being in this really immersive Christian community, I would come home for summers and just feel totally like the rug was pulled out from underneath me. I had no Christian friends, no Christian community in Castor Valley at that time. And I remember looking around and and seeing Sierra and being like, well, I've seen her at Three Crosses before, like don't know her super well, but throughout the years, um, we just started to kind of use faith as this connection point and, and go to church together and just really have a friendship that was totally built on, on Jesus and rooted in, in our shared love for him. And so she's just been, uh, somebody who, who just constantly pushes me and challenges me to be uh, a better version of who God created me to be and, and to become that person. And so, um, just really having somebody you can walk closely alongside. And, and I think of other friends, Molly and Lindsay, who have kind of come alongside us in that is, is such a gift and such a beautiful thing. Um, that is God's design, I believe. I, I mean, it's, it's incredible what, friendship and partnership can do and the way that that can shape your life when it is really rooted in in the Holy Spirit and a friendship that um, just desires him and is designed around him. One of the things we're passionate about at Three Crosses is being the bridge for those relationships and uh, having a place where you can experience life together. And that's our motto for our life group ministry. And so if you're out there and you're you have nobody, uh, let us know. We'll get you connected. There are groups out there. Uh, there are people out there willing to um, invite you into those relationships. And yeah, it is going to take a risk, whether it's playing a video game that you know nothing about or whether it's getting involved into a community that might be new for the first time. Whatever it is, it's going to take risk. But I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, is it worth it? And I think the message here says that Paul thinks absolutely. And the Bible would shout out, absolutely, it's worth it. But hey, it's going to take a little bit of time. So this podcast has taken a little bit of time. So thanks for hanging in there and uh, doing this joint podcast with us. So Pastor Ryan, Lauren, thanks for being here. Thank you, AJ. Thanks for having us.